Welcome to the Midnight Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Easton Bennett, alongside my fellow co-host, Tyler Sinden. We are both entrepreneurs who are learning, growing, and building our own businesses. Our goal is to share our experience and knowledge to help you grow and become a successful entrepreneur. Strap in. Before we get started, if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover, you can email us at themidnightentrepreneur.gmail.com. And if you'd like to join our business discord where we talk about wins, business problems, or general questions, shoot a message and we'll get you in there. Tyler, maybe we should just cut out the discord section of the intro. (laughs) Hey man, your call. You're the one that does the intros. I'm fine with whatever. Yeah, because now it's kind of like a running joke. Like, I don't even know the last (laughs) message that was sent in it. Um, So it's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean... It's a running joke between you and I, but yeah. now everyone knows. Now everyone knows um, that, no, well, we've alluded to no one being in there before. Um, so now the people really know we've confirmed it. I know the rumors <laughs> have been flying around that there's no one in it. There's some people in it. It's just not the most active, you know, it's just like a dormant volcano. A what? A dormant volcano. You know, a volcano that's oh. not erupting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I got it. Um, but Take getting into getting into the episode, uh, Tyler, what is going on, man? We are filming this on Sunday night before the podcast comes out. This episode is probably going to come out a little bit later. I want to say from the top of the show, apologies on the late episode last week. Uh, it was done and completed on time, and I literally could not find a location where it would upload. The hotel in LA didn't work. Uh, the airports, all seven of them, I was at, didn't work. Uh, the, the offices, I finally started it in the morning. You got done in the afternoon and that finally worked. Um, so yeah, drop. we got there. Oh yeah. I did name drop happens. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Cats we can out say, the back. Yeah. We can say what, uh, the business is, but so, I mean, I don't want to dig too deep into it, but does the NDA still apply to any previous projects? Yeah. NDA applies to everything. Um, I've learned, so I might even just bleep that out. Um, but yeah, they were, they were, we were talking about that and it's not like I have anything bad to say about them, but, um, yeah. talking about the project and what's happening in the project and all of this stuff is probably not something I should do. And it's not something I'm going to do, but, uh, eventually when the project's out there and everything we're doing, uh, we can then probably talk about it. Um, do they say why to not have a FDA or why? They want an NDA? Uh, I think it's just more so to cover um, their end. Um, They don't want anything released too soon. Um, They don't want trade secrets released. You know, a lot of the stuff we were filming is their trade secrets and the way they do things. So I can understand why they don't want that stuff released. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I have nothing bad to say about them or the company anyway, so I don't think it'd be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, uh, they, they mentioned a couple times that, uh, the NDA and they, they jokingly were like, Oh yeah, well you can't, you can't write a tell all book cause we signed the NDA. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I definitely don't have a podcast where I give business updates <laughs> <laughs> and talk about it. Yeah. So but you're going to have to, I guess you're probably going to have to bleep that out. But since you were kind of already touching on it, you want to touch on what you've been up to this last week? Yeah. So, uh, if you guys listen to last week's episode, it was the traveling for work episode. And perfect timing because I was traveling to LA and it was a nightmare. Uh, I was supposed to leave on Sunday. The flight was supposed to be at five o'clock out of United. Uh, got pushed back to eight o'clock. So then I was going to miss my connecting flight. Went through United to rebook me a flight out of Denver Monday morning. Uh, right after I did that, I got a notification that my flight out of North Dakota 
was now at six in the morning on Monday. So it's really hard to be on a flight out of Bismarck and out of Denver at the same time. So I pretty much scrapped the whole thing, um, pretty much just canceled with United and then went and booked a Delta flight for the next day. I, I should have known from the beginning. I learned in business uh, class when I was in high school that United breaks guitars. And ever since then, I just don't think United's a good company. So I should have known. Uh, canceled what does that United. mean? Uh, there was this big, um, there was this big scandal, big story years and years ago, probably 20 years ago about how United, the way they were handling this gentleman's guitar, they broke his guitar mm-hmm. when they were putting it on the plane and they mm-hmm. didn't give him any compensation, pretty much didn't say sorry. And they're being assholes about it. And then he wrote a song about it called United breaks guitars and put mm-hmm. it and it went viral and you know. It's a little blemish on United. So, yeah, if you guys haven't seen the United Breaks Guitars video, just go check it out. Is it United or Southwest that lets their people that work for them do whatever they want, kind of have fun while they're working? Is that Southwest? Probably Southwest. I did fly on a Southwest flight this week, and that is the most criminal organization right behind United. (laughs) Uh, Not because they're a bad company or anything, but there's no seating arrangements. Like, you don't have an assigned seat. Uh, whenever you check in for your flight 24 hours before the first people to check in, uh, get the best grouping. So it just starts with group A, group B, group C. Um, and there's a free for all on the plane. You walk on and you sit wherever you want. And yeah, it's, it's funny because I, one of the last flights I was on, we had to book a last minute Southwest flight. Um, so we didn't get a check in 24 hours before. And I walk on the plane and all of the window and all of the aisle seats are taken down the whole plane. So it's pretty much like pick whatever mm-hmm. middle seat you want. Um, and it's it's funny because I was like, oh, yes, there's a there's an aisle seat, which I prefer the aisle seat. There's a flight attendant sitting in the aisle seat. So I said, is anyone sitting there? And she's like, no, I don't. I have no idea. I don't think so. So I said, awesome. So I threw my bag up top in the overhead bin. I sat down in the aisle seat after she stood up and she goes, oh, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, what do you mean you're sitting here? She's like, I'm not an, I'm not a flight attendant. I don't work for this company. She was a flight attendant for a different airline that was just on Southwest. So I was like, what the hell? You didn't say that. Yeah. You said no one was sitting here. So I was a little upset about that, but um, nice little 45 minute flight. So I can't complain. But yeah, traveling was kind of a nightmare. Ended up getting there on Monday uh, through Delta. Um and had to hire somebody else to cover Monday's shoot because I obviously wasn't there and wasn't able to do it. And then you uh, do that? I just my, through my networks, I, I knew a guy that was about two hours south of L.A. Um, so I texted mm-hmm. him, said, are you available? And the nice part about it was he actually shot something for me on Saturday before I went there. So I just said, hey, are mm-hmm. you also free Monday? Because my flight just got canceled. And he was. So uh, big ups to have him help out with the shoot. Um, it's pretty good. And then the rest of the week went pretty smooth. Uh, no more flight issues. I did fly first class for the first time in my life on the way back to North Dakota. Big shot. And the reason I did that is because it is a four hour flight from LA to Minneapolis. And the only seat they had was row 34, uh, the middle seat. And I said, there's no way I'm sitting in the middle seat for four hours. So it's 300 bucks to upgrade to first class. And I tell you what, I understand why people write songs about it and why people uh, enjoy first class. Was it worth it? I think so, for sure. I mean, 300 bucks, 
business expense, whatever. Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm like worth it. Um, all of, all of the rest of the flights were covered from the budget of the actual project. So this was the only flight expense that actually came out of my pocket, 300 bucks. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that they bring you a meal. Um, you get a full blown meal. Um, my flight was at like eight in the morning. So they brought me breakfast, a nice croissant, um, a full bowl <laughs> parfait fruit. And I'm like, God damn, this is I'm living the life here. Um, so yeah, I definitely soaked it up for about four hours. And then my flight from Minneapolis to Fargo, I went back to the peasant seats and I was in the back of the plane, but yeah, I can understand what you take back. Do. What you do you take back what you said last week about first class and working on the on an airplane and all that stuff. Oh, dude, I actually got some work done on the airplane. It was incredible. So I understand. I do. I do understand uh, if you have the room and if you can fly first class, I get it. Right. It's awesome. Um, So, yeah, definitely do that if you can. But if you're, you know, crammed in the back with the peasants and you're got your knees in your throat, uh, that's when it gets a little harder. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like it. But I mean, I make it work. It's not the best. Extremely crammed, like you say. Not ergonomic at all. But no. you know, you gotta you gotta make make it happen. Yeah. So but it, it was nice flying first class. Now it kind of gives me the motivation to how can I fly first class every time I fly? So it puts a little yeah. spark in spark in your ass. They talk about that a lot. I, I feel like we've talked about it on this podcast where experiencing it and tasting it a little bit go and rent that car that you want your dream car or go in those neighborhoods that you want to buy a house and experience it a little bit. They, a lot of people talk about that all the time where you got to go out and experience it a little bit. And then it starts to make your mind churn a little bit. It's like, okay, what do I got to do to actually get here? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, I got to actually do work. It's like, if I, if I'm on my current path, that's what I did when I was in Florida. I think I, I probably about a year ago when we, when I might've talked about this was, when I was on my runs, I would go through those rich neighborhoods past these massive houses. I'm like, damn, those are some nice houses. And it just makes you think. Yeah. And that's, that's also one thing I realized when I was in LA, the people that are working there and trying to build this company, they are grinding. Tyler, I thought me and you were, were grinding on the day to day, but they just run on coffee and it is, it's incredible. Honestly, like they, they work their balls off and they just go, go, go. And it, it kind of brought me back to that Alex Hermosi quote that he always says, I will do what is required, right? If it's required that I'm going to do this, right? I'm gonna, I might not yeah. want to do it, but I'm going to do it. So that's how they do it. You know, anything that's got to get done, it just gets done. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier <laughs> to, to do it and do what's required when you're up, out and about because for someone that sits at a desk eight plus hours a day yeah can be a little bit tough to <laughs> oh yeah to stay awake and be like oh, i gotta grind and it, you're just like sitting there stagnant all day and but if you're out and about and like grinding it makes it a little bit easier high paced getting some sunshine big environment yeah high atmosphere good stuff good it vibes. is it is nice when you're you know we were in a few different cities we were in arizona i was actually pretty close to you tyler about two hours away uh, arizona and san francisco and you can um, say hi I actually thought we were flying into Tucson and we didn't, um, we went into Phoenix, but yeah, it's it, when you're moving and grooving and you know, you got like, okay, you got to take this flight. Okay. Then we got to shoot this and then we got to sit down we got to upload this stuff and then we got to edit. It's nice to get that pace. Um, it does keep you motivated to keep going. But like you said, when you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, it can get a little bit lethargic, a little tedious. 
Mm-hmm. Who are these people that you saw? Was it other videographers or was it just people within this organization that's grinding that are higher ups, I guess you could say? Or who are these people that you saw that are grinding? Pretty much everyone at the company. Um, I mean, not just okay. videographers, like people on the marketing team, people on the sales, people on the creative, all of it. Like everyone's just doing their own thing. It's really cool to see. And I've never been to like an office that big and with that many people. And it was a whole, it's like a mothership, man. It was really cool. They in cubicles? Uh, no, uh, not yeah. cubicles. They're just open desks. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, not everyone has like their own, you know, hundred square foot office space, but they got enough mm-hmm. space to get their work done. So, but solid. that's enough about the LA trip. Tyler, what's been going on with you? I've been thinking about tracking. I know you said this before about you tracking your time and seeing everything. I've been thinking about tracking my time for my current client just to see if I'm, if the money makes sense currently. I think it does because when I boiled it down, how much he's paying and all that stuff, I think it comes out to like if I'm working less than 35 hours a month, I I think I'm well worth it in my time. Maybe not like well worth it, but like it's worth it in my time. So yeah. I feel like I've been thinking about that a little bit, but I think the more that we start working together, the less and less time that I'm going to have to do all these little maintenance tr- stuff throughout the month. Yeah. Um, I know the first month there was a lot of that, but I think the longer that I'm working with him, the less time I'm probably going to have to spend with him because I'm also learning the industry as well. So I'm becoming more knowledgeable there. But I thought I just thought about tracking it, seeing exactly how many hours I'm actually spending on his, his work and seeing if, there is a good ROI there. Yeah. I remember doing that in the beginning when I started doing video too. I, I started tracking. I'm like, how long are these edits actually taking me? How many hours did I actually spend on that shoot? Um, how long did pre-production actually take me? Cause then you can get down to, you know, maybe I'm way undercharging or maybe mm-hmm. I'm right in this sweet spot where, you know, I'm making a bunch of money, you know, if you, if you calculate to hourly. So I think that's super important mm-hmm. to do in the beginning. And that's where you're in the stages where you're kind of working through those clients. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're not already doing it, I would suggest doing it. I'd say for my one client, she's definitely in good range. Um, I just, I feel like I need for sure. I just need to get better at my job so I can deliver her better results and then make it more lucrative on her end for her investment into me. So I think that's where I'm at with her. I just need to and that's what I'm trying to do as well with the community that I joined. Um, I I watched one video last night. That was <laughs> I know that's one of the things that I say I'm going to do in our mastermind, like one video a week, and I put it in my daily task to actually do it. So I actually got it done last night, which is good. Hey, that's what I like to hear. Um, that's what I like mm-hmm. to hear. I was going to say the Google Ads class, and then you followed up with that. So um, I assume mm-hmm. it is that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's good that you're that you're taking advantage of these things, uh, these great things we're talking about, Tyler. Let's start tracking our time. Maybe you're really going to dive into <laughs> Google Calendar now. No, it, it wouldn't be that. I would just like maybe like start a stopwatch or something and be like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to track it. Like, okay, I'm going to work on... That's one thing that actually Alex talks about. It's like you have a timer. It's like, okay, I'm going to work for six hours on this one thing. And if I do something that's not this one thing, I got to stop the timer. So it's like I have six dedicated hours to this one thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you do that, you're like 
you're going to be so far ahead of other people because other people might do like five, 10, 15, 30 minutes here and there throughout the day. And then it's like, he's like, if you check your phone, you stop that timer. Yeah. So it's like any little thing that isn't that thing, you stop the timer. So that's right. kind of what I would think like I would do is like stopwatch. And then whenever I'm doing that, if I get like sidetracked and I go on my phone, I do whatever, I got to stop the stopwatch. I have a uh, kitchen timer I ordered that just like it's a magnet and sticks side of the fridge and then you turn it mm. and then just hit it mm-hmm. and it starts rolling. Um, and I really like that thing. I've used it for work before, but yeah, I like the idea uh, or just the phone is the biggest thing for me. Just putting the phone in the drawer and then you don't touch it. Mm-hmm. And you just, mm-hmm. that's another barrier that you have to think about. I have to open this drawer to get to my phone. And by that time you should think, well, what do I really need to go on there for? You know, that that's what I've been hearing and seeing a lot of like, these high performing individuals that have high net worth. I was watching this video. I forget what the, I forget his business, but he's, he's got a business that's like multi-million dollar business. And he basically said his first, I, I think it was like two to four hours of his day is working, spent working, doing whatever he does. And his phone isn't even in the same room as him. He's like, I need just me and then it's like work. And that's what it it seems like these people that are high net worth, they are work. It's like focus right on this one thing and their focus does not like it's right on that one thing. That's what it is. Yeah, I like that, especially I I can't remember who said it, but they wake up early in the morning and they say, well, the first four hours of my day is dedicated to sales. Let's say it's sales. They're not doing anything else. They're not taking any meetings, uh, no phone calls the first four hours of the day. Um, so I do like that idea, but when, when we're just out in the beginning, it's hard to, it's hard to set boundaries. Like I'm not taking a meeting with you unless it's past one o'clock, you know, it's like, ah, I'll take, I think job. you can do it, man. You definitely can. You're limiting beliefs. You definitely can. Um, you just have to change your mindset a little bit. Um, all right, Tyler, mm-hmm. what else you got to, as an update for us? Yeah. The last thing I've just been thinking about, I don't know if you've been getting the ads from Alex, but Alex just invested in school and basically what it is, is the community building platform. And I've been thinking about trying to start a community on there. I'm not sure yet. It's like, what what would I be able to do to provide the value in that community to to actually like make it worthwhile for people in there? And I don't know, maybe I'll brainstorm some, maybe I'll have like those that dedicated time in the morning where I'll dedicate like one to two hours in the morning, every morning. And then it's like planning it out. But then it's just like, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about it because I, I think this could be huge. Like, and it, Alex investing in this, getting his brand behind it. I think this is going to be something that. It, it, so they did the launch the other day, and it was really interesting because he was like, This is the early stages of Facebook, like back in 2010. It's like, get in now type of thing. He's like, This can, this is going to be big. So it's just like, do you want to miss that opportunity to get in there? And I know we've t- touched on this a lot in the past where when there's a new platform coming up to get in there and test it out. And I think this might be that platform to get in there and test it out. Is it a platform? Is it an app? Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's both. It's, it's. Um, I guess Discord would be a good comparison. It's website, app, place to build a community. Okay. 
community courses, live calls, whole bunch of stuff that you can do on it. I'll have to check it out. I don't know enough about it too. I've, I've been invited to a community already and I don't know enough about it to really ask you any questions or give feedback, but yeah, definitely something that you people should maybe look at, but I don't want to mm-hmm. try to answer anything where I'm not knowledgeable about it. Um, but maybe we'll do an update on, maybe we'll do an episode on community building of some sort. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have that idea as one, but I don't think we've really <laughs> done very well in our own regards. We'll get her done eventually. We got a mastermind now, four members, so we can build a goddamn community. <laughs> it's growing. Exactly. To the moon. Uh, last thing I got here, uh, Matt has uh, taken over producer roles, which has been good. We got another call today, and I pretty much fielded the call, got the information, called Matt, and said, "Hey, here's what we're looking at." Uh, sent an email, uh, CCing him in it. Um, so it's it's a good partnership so far. Now that I'm back from LA, we'll have to meet and really dial down the details of what we're going to do. But just wanted to give a quick update. As far as that goes. Nice. Sounds like everything's going good there. Yeah, should be going good. Um, working with him is still great. Have no issues. Can't nothing to complain about. That's what we said last week, right? Um, and after mm-hmm. you said that, I heard that like five times this week. It was actually crazy. Um, what do you think about it when the people said it? It's like, did, do, do you think, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I thought about when you said it. I'm like, I I put that theory to the test when they said it. I'm like, okay, let's try to hear this from Tyler's point of view. And I don't think people are trying to find something to complain about, but I did. I'm like, yeah, kind of. I think it's just one of those sayings that people are like, this is a living the saying. life. Yeah, living the dream. Right? Another it's day, like, another dollar. Yeah, it's like you're not living the dream, right? You have a nine to five, <laughs> and you know, you get paid less than what you want to get paid. You're not living the dream. So I think it's just something uh, that people say. Yeah. Tyler, let's uh, let's dive into this week's topic. We're going to be talking about mag- managing client feedback, managing client expectations. How did this come about? I know you texted me that we wanted to do this topic. Um, have you been getting feedback from clients recently? I know you've got a couple new clients. What's that process been like? Yeah, there's a point that I put up later in this um, doc. I did receive some feedback and I'm pretty sure I touched on it briefly on a previous episode. And basically what it was, it was like a novel of him giving me feedback and also some other edits from just from past edits that they've wanted done on the website. So it made it look like it was a lot worse than it actually was from the edit side, from like what I gave him on the deliverables. So that's kind of what it made me think about think about that. And that's one thing that at work, like the nine to five, quote unquote, is setting expectations and setting client expectations. That's one thing that they've been focusing a lot on. Like if they ask us to do a website update, not showing that, hey, we got this done in one hour and then, you know, then they expect that every single time. It's setting the expectation that hey, no problem, we'll get this done within a week. Yeah. So it's like setting the expectation of, okay, we can do this. It's not going to get done right now, but we'll get it done. So that was just one thing that kind of came up with me with uh, this client. And he just gave me a whole bunch of feedback. And the thing with the feedback is it ended up being good feedback for me just because what I gave him honestly could have used his feedback because it honestly wasn't top notch. So 
when he gave me the feedback and then I had made all the edits that he said to make, I was like, okay, yeah, this does look a lot better. So that's kind of where it came from. Yeah, and I like what you said at the beginning about setting expectations because I think that's one of the bigger things when you are dealing with clients and their feedback and fielding their wants and needs or whatever requests they might have is you have to make it reasonable and sustainable that you can do in the long term. Like you said, if you can get it done in an hour this time, that doesn't mean next time you can get it done in an hour. And that's one thing I struggle with a lot of the time is someone asks, hey, can we get this edit done by Tuesday? It's like, yeah, I can. But then the next time comes around, hey, they just start the project and start the request with that time frame in mind. Mm-hmm. And that might not be your full-time time frame, right? It might actually take you three weeks, but just you had some extra time the first time you did it. So that's one thing. Or or I think one thing, if they're like a first-time client or they're like new with you, you're trying to set the bar really high. So it's like, I'm going to try and go above and beyond and let you know, like, these are kind of like our standards or our expectations. And like, we we can do that. So it's like, you you might be trying to like go above and beyond for them is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And if you go above and beyond at the beginning, so they're happy and excited, you want to make sure that you can still maintain that because if you're blowing your load out of the gate and then you, you know, towards the end of the race, towards the end of the contract, whatever it is, you're slowing down and you can't fulfill that, that almost looks worse. So yeah, that's definitely something that I've been working on is setting realistic expectations. Even when someone says, you know, how long is this edit going to take or the editing process? I like to shoot a little bit higher. It's always better to deliver it under the time frame that you gave them rather than, hey, yeah, we'll get it done in three to four weeks. And then you're at the end of week four and you're like, shit, I haven't even started the project yet. So yeah, setting those realistic expectations. And I think it's crucial that you do it from the beginning. It all starts with your framing. And where I started is in the contracts. Tyler, do you with your recent clients that you've had, I know you're early on, but have you done any framing in the beginning of any of these client meetings or client calls? Uh, I wouldn't really say I have. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and could you give me examples so you could help prepare me and help yes. me do a better job? Yeah, this is a great little school. This is our community, <laughs> S-K-O-O-L. Um, but one thing I like to do is in discovery calls, if a client... Um, if a client calls and says, Hey, here's the project we're looking for. I like to frame it with like, okay, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions to get to know about your business before we can give you any more information on our side. So, right. That's, that's how you frame a call, whether it's any call. Um, you just want to tell them at the beginning, what is this call about? And what is the expectation we're looking to get at the end of the call? That's one thing I like to do. If I go into a strategy call, I like to remind them at the beginning, Hey, this call is going to be about the three strategies that we talked about putting together on our last call. And at the end of this call, we want to give an idea of which strategy you're leaning towards. Uh, so then in, in their mind from the very beginning, they know, okay, at the end of this call, they're going to ask which one of these three that I like the most. We're not tying them to the project, but at least we get a general idea of which way they're leaning. Uh, whereas if you don't frame it that way, and then you get to the end of the call and you're like, okay, so which ones do you like? They almost have that out to say, oh, we'll think about it and we'll get back to you. Um, but if you frame it at the beginning and then you say at the very end, okay, like we mentioned at the beginning of the call, you can always use it as a callback. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the call, we want to see which one you're leaning towards, um, which one fits the best for you or whatever it might be. So that's just one example that it's always good at the beginning of any call, any meeting, any contract to 
explain what's going to happen instead of surprising them at the end. So it's kind of like a problem and then solution. Yeah. In that regard. And it, yeah. And there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a problem. Um, one thing, you know, contracts that I really like to do, I like to make sure that in the contracts, the specific things that have come up later uh, that have went through, like people wanting the raw footage, right? That came up a lot of times. And now I just start framing that uh, when I talk about the contract, I say right here in the contract, we own the raw footage, you own the final video. So then mm -hmm. once you frame it that way, they can't come back three weeks from now and say, well, why don't we have access to the raw video? And I could say, well, do you remember when we talked about in the contract X, Y, Z? Um, so I think just talking about it up front, lay it out as best as possible in an easy way to put this instead of like the framing and this and that, just be as transparent as you can. I would just lay out all of the terms, all of everything that's going on. Don't assume that the client or the person you're talking to knows what you're thinking. Even if it's mm -hmm. super simple, uh, in the contract, if you guys agree upon a project being $5,000, say, okay, the total project budget is $5,000 just so everyone's on the same page because they might think, oh, well, I heard $5,000. I thought that was a range. I didn't know, you know, we were hoping to be around 4,500, whatever it might be. Um, just always be as transparent as you can be. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of this differently because a lot of what I have in my contract. So for my work nine to five, they actually lay it out like a time. It's like, okay, this specific task, you're allotted around two to two hours is what they say. So that's what I'm thinking about with mine where it's like, okay, I have this task. You're allowed this many hours a month because right now there isn't a set time for anything that I specifically do for him. So it's like, he could ask me to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to have to do it because that's what it says in the contract. So like, that's one thing that I think could have been maybe laid out a little bit better for my safety in the contract to be able to say, Hey, this is all you're allowed for this month. We already went that up. I'll do it next month mm -hmm. or you can pay X amount of dollars for this month. Yeah. And that's where you get into the situation where since you didn't agree upon that in the contract, when you guys started, you didn't say like, Hey, I'm going to provide four hours of service per month, whatever it might be. Now yeah. it looks weird. If he says, Hey, can I get this done? It looks weird for you to go in there and be like, well, you're past your four hours. You have to pay yep. extra. Right. Because then he's going to say, well, I didn't know there was no four hours. You didn't tell me that that wasn't in the contract. So that's why it's yeah. super important to, Whatever those expectations are, talk about them in the beginning. Uh, it's not going to be awkward. I know some people are like, oh, well, if you bring it up, it's going to be weird. If you're just talk about it in the beginning, right? Because mm -hmm. um, if you talk about it in the beginning, it won't bite you in the ass down the road. But yeah, that's a perfect example of you have to set the expectations. Because if my one of my favorite sayings, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Yeah. So didn't you say make, that last week? And then we were going to do an episode on that. Or is this could this be that episode? Uh, I think we do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we do a full episode on it, but yeah. So it was, it's kind of funny because last month it was like right at the end. He, um, I don't know what, what day it was, but maybe like 28th, 29th. He asked me to do a few things that, that would like maybe go under that service that could have that hourly rate or like yeah. hourly time per month. And then when he asked me that, and it was like the 28th, 29th. I'm like, I'm going to just wait till next month to do this. <laughs> yeah. And then 
it was just something really small too. So I could have done it, but I was just like, I'm gonna wait till next month and then it'll make it look like I'm doing that that month and make it look like I'm doing a little bit more there. Yeah. And that's, those are things you learn in the beginning, right? Is the, how the way you want to structure things, how the way you want to manage expectations, how the, the way that you want to frame up any of these conversations you're having. And you kind of have to work through that as Tyler's working through it now. And as I worked through it in the past where people are asking for raw footage or they're asking for different uh, revisions, that's one of the big things I had to add was revision rounds. People went through six rounds of revisions. I'm like, we can't do this anymore. Like I need two rounds. That's all you get. If you want more, you got to pay for more. Um, so yeah, I think it's super important that you're setting those expectations at the beginning. Um, how do you think you do this? Tyler? Do you think, you know, I know how I want to do it, but do you like to text, email, call? How do you deal with it when a client comes to you and they say, Hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. Your question seems all over the place. Is like, yeah, I probably was. Because you start, you started out with, how do you do, you do it? Text, call, email. And then you said, I want to do X, Y, Z. Um, Right now, it's just for him and I, it's just been email back and forth. The thing that I think you do differently is I've been emailing him whenever. <laughs> so like t- today, I sent him an email around noon um, and he'll email. It seems like he'll email me pretty much whenever as well. So it's like, that's another thing. It's like, do you only send the emails Monday through Friday? Do you, do you have specific days that you do send emails? Or do you have specific times that you don't send emails? Because I know sometimes he'll send me late, early emails. I'll send him late, early emails, whatever it is. But sometimes what I did start to do is I'll start scheduling emails. So it's like, I'll mm-hmm. finish this at 6 a.m., but I'm going to schedule it for 11 a.m. So it's, yeah. he's not getting it right at 6. And then... To answer the last part of the question, um, we've typically been meeting on Zoom. Yeah, and that's, you know, I went into it thinking when I went into business, I was like, you send emails Monday through Friday, nine to five. And that's when you send emails, right? Nothing past the end of the workday, no weekends, don't bother people early in the morning. And the more I work with people and different clients, I'm starting to realize it really doesn't matter. I get emails from people all the time that are at night. I get text messages on the weekend. I get emails early in the morning, uh, emails on the weekend. So I really think there are a small percentage of clients and people that actually really dislike when it's outside of a specific window. That's good to hear because I've been sending him emails. Um, <laughs> outside yeah. the quote-unquote norm but i think at the same time like we're i got both in emails RJ. this morning at 103 a.m central time that's wild yeah maybe that was scheduled <laughs> maybe they did <laughs> they finish it between like that nine to five window and they're like i'm gonna schedule this at midnight yeah. this will go tonight i promise you <laughs> <laughs> maybe they do that but yeah so i think since he's in Arte as well I think we both have that similar drive. So it's like we we both don't really care as much and then we'll yeah. send it whenever and then we're working kind of whenever. Um, so I think we have that similar drive and personality. And I think most clients are like that where especially if you're in a service-based business where you're getting things done, let's say you finish the website at 6.50 on a Tuesday, I should be able to send an email at you know 7 and say, hey, website's done. Um, hopefully you get a chance to check it out tomorrow, whatever you're saying. I don't right. think we need to live by the corporate structure of you send emails and text messages and calls from nine to five. It's um, ancient. I think, especially if you're working with business owners, 
Mm-hmm. They're probably working outside of those hours as well. So why can't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think like depending on how, um, I guess like attached to their business are how maybe early they are in their business. Um, they're probably also spending that much time on their business as well, or depending on how disconnected they are from the business. Yeah. And my biggest pet peeve is when you send an email and it just takes forever to get a response. I always try to, at the end of the day, make sure I've answered all the emails I got that day. Even if I got it in the morning, I try to finish up the emails by five or six o'clock. So then I'm starting the day on the right foot. Because if you go three, four days without an unanswered email, it's like, what are you doing, man? How many emails do you have in your inbox? So do you have a, you you try to answer? Yeah, I do try and answer um, within the day. And depending on how many exchanges we've had, um, I might postpone it or prolong it and be like, okay, maybe, maybe like I'll get it at like, we've had like five or so exchanges. It's like, I'm going to schedule this one for (laughs) bedtime. So I'm not going to be getting back to it if he does reply to this one, um, today. So yeah, I do try and get back within the day, at least, at least the first one second and there on might not be as, as much, but I do try and make sure everything's cleared throughout the day. And before I do head to bed, um, oh shoot. I forget what I was going to ask. I know you had a question and then I said, I asked a question. I was like, he's going to lose it. Yeah. Do you remember what I said? No, I don't. I don't even know if you started it. Yeah. Oh, well, if it comes to you, you cut me off and I won't, I won't take it as a bad thing. Um, okay. So we touched on expectations, client expectations a little bit, how to manage those. Now that you have the expectations set, how do you manage feedback? Tyler, I know, I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but you had an extensive list of feedback um, for your client that wanted changes. Mm-hmm. How do you go about, you know, maybe tell us what your emotions were like getting a longer list of feedback and then how you handled that list? <laughs> it was really annoying at first, especially like if you saw, I, I showed you like how long it was. But if you saw how long it was, it was just like, man, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. But then like once I started going through it, I just like task by task by task by task. Like you're obviously really annoyed. And it wasn't that I was mad that he's criticizing some of my work. It was just like, man, this list is long. <laughs> that was yeah. probably the worst part about it. So honestly, I was a little bit annoyed. But I, like once, like I said earlier, once I actually got it done, once I saw it, I was like, okay, it looks a lot better now. It looks a lot cleaner. Um, the feedback was really well warranted and I think it did help a lot. What do you that's think? Ex- yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is when I used to get feedback like this, I'd always get super annoyed or I'd get frustrated. That's like, I can't believe you want feedback. I thought the video was great. Uh, and, and you can't take that personally. You have to take their feedback with a grain of salt that it's not a personal attack against you that you didn't do it right or that they want all these changes. They're looking out for their best interest, wanting it to be the most perfect product. And they're just giving you their thoughts on how they can get it there. Uh, so they're mm-hmm. most of the time, 90% of the time, they're not actually upset with what you did. Uh, so taking it personal, you don't want to do that and getting frustrated. That's not the solution because like you said, at the end of the day, after you do make the revisions, most of the time, they're super beneficial and it actually does make the project or service way better. Yeah. That's definitely what happened with, with me and my feedback that he provided me. It 
turned out a lot better. Website looks really good with his feedback. So yeah, I'm glad he did give it to me. And at the same time, that just helps you out because it just helps you get better. It's like, if you never receive feedback, that means you're perfect and no one's really truly perfect. So it's like, it does truly benefit you as well, learning from other people and then just taking other feedback. It's like, oh, that's cool. Like you're seeing it in a different eye type of thing. Like for you, video can be really subjective. And when you're seeing it, when you're getting feedback from someone else, it's like, yeah, I'll take that into consideration. I might not apply it or do anything with it. It's like, but it's cool to see it from someone else's perspective. Yeah, it's a good learning curve. It's a good learning experience to take what they're saying and say, you know, is this actually warranted instead of immediately getting frustrated? One example, when I color videos, sometimes I might think the color grading looks awesome. uh, And then they come back to me and they say, hey, the video looks too warm, right? Can we cool it down a little bit, put a little bit more blue into the image? And I might be upset, but then after not seeing the video for a couple of days, because the edit's finished, and then I go back and look, I might think, okay, yeah, that's, you know, that makes sense. The video is too warm and I just didn't see it because I was so locked into the project. Where it's good to get a third party set of eyeballs on something uh, to get that feedback. And then you have that learning experience for your next project where you can make sure I'm going to double check, make sure that this problem that happened with the last client doesn't happen with this one. So it is good getting that. And like I said, you just can't take it personal. How often when you receive feedback, would you say you actually apply what they say to you? So so for that example, oh, this is too warm. Do you always go back and change it to make it cooler? Or what would you say you typically do? Yeah. At the end of the day, like they say in the retail industry, the customer is always right. At the end of the day, the client is paying for this product you're giving them or this service you're giving them. So it's their say, it's their call. If they want it that way, awesome. Unless they're making a total travesty of it and you don't want to slap your brand and your name on it. That maybe is a different story. But at the end of the day, if they want it, if they're like, hey, it looks too warm, looks too yellow, uh, you can change it and say, okay, that's fine. You know, it's your decision at the end of the day. Um, So most of the time I do handle all of their feedback and make any changes that they want to. Uh, Sometimes it's frustrating. I just had a video where uh, we put the whole video together and they wanted the change of uh, part of the voiceover. They wanted to be a different voice. Uh, And then after that, they came and said, oh, we also want to change the song. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a harder edit because the whole edit is to the song we chose. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's going to that's going to add a lot of time. Um, so things like that are something I give a little bit more pushback on, but if it's something like, Hey, we don't like this shot, take the shot out. Maybe I really liked it, but they don't cool. Take it out. Or, Hey, we don't like this transition. Take it out. Um, those things totally fine. Um, but at this point, most of the videos I send out and the work that I send out, the revisions I get are very minor. Like, you know, we don't like this shot or can we switch this spot out or we can't have that person in the video. They're very minor things where it's not something drastic mm-hmm. like, you know, we need to redo this whole video. Mm-hmm. Do, do you ever give them be like, hey, these are a few songs. Choose which one you like. Or is it just all you? Do you ever do it's that all before? Me. I have done it before, but it just adds another step in the process mm-hmm. of, hey, make a decision. Uh, And I don't like that because at the end of the day, most of the time they don't pick the one that I think is best for the video anyways. They're getting it as just a straight up a song. They don't have any visuals in their mind of what the edit's going to look like. They don't know the pacing. So most of the time I have an idea 
like, hey, what kind of music do you like? Is this a country, uh, more so a country song? Are we going heavy metal? Um, and I can get a genre, but adding that extra step in there, majority of the time it just puts the project off on the wrong foot where I'm like, okay, this song sucks, but the, this is the one they chose. Now I got to edit this video. It's going to suck even mm-hmm. more. So I try to avoid Makes that sense. as much as possible. So when they say the customer is always right, do you agree with that? Do you have thoughts on that? What do you think? Uh, I don't agree with it. No? I think I think people resort to the, they just say, okay, the customer is ours, right? That's the saying. We're going to go by it. But I think internally, they just allow them to be right. And then they know, okay, that person's wrong, but we're just going to do the right thing. What are your thoughts Makes on sense. it? Do you think the customer is always right? I, I think you worded that well. Um, so I guess... I would say yes, but then I would change it to what you said that sure, they might be wrong, but right now in the circumstance, we're making it right by doing good to them. And then it's just like, okay, you're right. We'll give you this. Maybe it's like, I don't know, their burger wasn't fried enough or, yep. and then they want it fried, fried more. So it's like, okay, you're always right. And then you just go, it keeps one happy customer. And it's like, that lifetime value of that customer because you said, no, you're wrong and they never come back versus, yeah, you're right. Go switch it out. Come back, give them the burger. They, they'll, be, they'll be coming back. They'll be happy. They had a great experience. So I do agree, agree in that sense. Like they might not be quote unquote right, but in that circumstance, you make it right for them. Yeah. Internally, you can always decide whether or not they're right, but the customer should always feel like they're right. Mm-hmm. or the client, whatever it is. You might think in your head, you're like, yeah, that is the most whack thing I've ever heard, but at least <laughs> hopefully to them, they think they're right. Because the, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. It's worse if uh, you maybe give them what they want, but you also let them know, hey, you're wrong for this, by the way. Then it just mm-hmm. gets into a hairy situation. Yeah. So, I, yeah, you did, you did open my eyes a little bit there. I like that, the way you phrased it. I really like what you have on the, on our notes here next, Tyler, is that you're trying to offer the best service possible. How do you go about doing that when maybe you get a piece of feedback from a client that you don't necessarily agree with, uh, but you do it anyways? I think I was just saying that I want it to be the best it possibly can be. And I think this goes back to the, the customer's always right circumstance where it's like, okay, I got to make this to the best I possibly can. And I have this high standard that I need to meet. So it's like, if they have this feedback, I need to listen to them. I need to be able to implement what they're saying and make it the best possible product because I have these standards that I want to be able to meet. So I think it's just being like the best that I possibly can with the service that I offer. So it's like, if they give me feedback, that's great because that's only going to make me better. Um, And obviously like me saying that, it's like, sure, you would expect that it's going to be quote unquote perfect, but at the same time, we're never perfect. But at the same time, I think it makes you realize, okay, in the future, I I might need to be a little bit more careful sending them stuff that's not quote quote unquote up to standards. Yeah. And that's where you need to take that feedback. Like we said at the beginning of the show, 
even if you maybe don't agree with it or you think you're looking at it a different way, if that feedback that they're giving you is going to make the product best for them, then that means that's the best service that you can provide for them. Because if you say, I don't want to do that revision or I don't want to make that change or whatever you want, (laughs) you're then diluting what service you're providing them because the way they're now viewing the service that you're giving them is that, oh, they don't actually want to give me what I want. This is, this isn't what they promised. They promised that uh, everything was going to be how I wanted it, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. You always want to make sure to take that feedback, even if you don't agree with it and make mm-hmm. it the best, best service possible for them. Mm-hmm. I think also at the same time, going back to other businesses, because we're in a very specific industry and there's other types of businesses out there and you say say like landscaping the client's like not happy with what what you offered so it's like okay i'm gonna come back i'm gonna talk to the client be like okay what don't you like what what do you and then try and fix it from there fix it that time and then maybe next time you can come back and be like next time no charge just trying to make it right for them and always being because like we're in a very specific type of like product slash industry. So I think there's other types and forms of feedback. And I think just trying to be able to make it right for that client, because you got to think about the lifetime value and having them have a great experience with you. At the end of the day, it boils down to the relationship. And that's a good plug to go watch our relationship uh, episode. (laughs) I don't know what episode it is, but you guys can find it. And Tyler will end Go ahead. (laughs) I know I was going to be like, you can go ahead and find it. Yeah, go find it, motherfuckers. Um, but we'll end the, we'll end this topic off here before we get to the business idea with one of Tyler's favorite quotes. Give it to us, Tyler, right there at the bottom. We're doing it right now? Oh, that one? How you do one thing is how you do everything? Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, if you're if you're being combative, you're combative. If you're being combative with the feedback you're getting, uh, you're diluting that relationship and how you're handling that is how you're handling everything. So that might put you know, a mark on your whole business is going to be that way. Um, so yeah, I really like that quote. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Uh, even the smallest, finest, small things that you might be doing has an effect on your whole business. Literally anything in your life, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Like whether you pick up the shit after you use it, do you put it away? Do you clean up? Like every little detail in your life adds up over time. And that adds up in, your work life, your business life, your whatever you're doing, it all adds up. So it's like how you do that one thing is how you do everything. And I kind of hate that I started listening to Andy because he's like so peculiar with all this stuff. And it's like whenever I see something that I know I should maybe do and I don't do it, I think about that for so long. Like there's, there's, I don't know if I I talked about this on this, on the podcast, but this is still in my head. There was this one time I was at the gym and there was a couple girls at the water fountain. I think they spilt water. And then they were all like, there was just two of them trying to clean it up, dry it up on the, off the ground. And I literally walked by, stared at them and I didn't help. And that still rings in my head. And it's like, man, I should have done that. And I thought about that for like the next 30 minutes. I'm like, I should have helped. I should have you helped. You run back, you spill it again. You're I, like, I got helped. it. I got you this time. <laughs> <laughs> just like splash them all. It's like, here, wait, wait, wait. I didn't help. I didn't help. But yeah. And also I just want to throw this out there. Episode 31 is building relationships. 
boom, episode 31. Damn, that was a long time ago. 43 mm-hmm. episodes ago. Um, cool. All right. So Tyler, let's hop into this week's business idea. It is on you this week. What do you got for us? Yeah, I don't really have a name for it, but it's just trying to think of like a massive business. And basically what it would be, you're probably going to have to start out small. And I think that just comes back to my health kick where I'm trying to get everything so natural, so not from a conglomerate and where it's like all processed or maybe they're injecting animals. It's like not proper, like um, Desiree, how she's feeding her animals properly, like grass fed cows. Like you want your animals, the meat that you're eating you want that shit good. So it's like coming up with this restaurant, you're using locally sourced and made whatever it is. So like maybe it's like you got a local farmer. So you have that connection there. And basically what it is, you're going to grow this. And then you have this massive logistics supply where you have these, like I'm trying to make it so it's not conglomerate based where it's like, where they're just like feeding and it's like so commercialized and you're trying to find all these local farmers and then you're building these relationships with say local farmers and local people. And then like all your restaurants, because I know each restaurant has to have that say McDonald's McDonald's has that same standard where they have the same food, the same everything. So you got to be able to find and be able to have this whole logistic supply chain where it's like okay i gotta find these relationships and build them so it's like it's like a really small start but then it's a slow burn over time to build it out so it's like you're all over the place and it's like you can come in here and you're going to expect the best quality ingredients because it's all locally sourced and these animals are grass-fed how they're supposed to be they aren't Mm -hmm. injected with antibiotics or steroids or anything like that so it's just trying to come up with this massive logistics supply where you're building these relationships and then you're sourcing it to maybe it's you're the logistics supplier and then you're sourcing it to restaurants or you're doing it all yourself. And it's like, you're the restaurant, you're the logistics supplier, you're building that relationship and that just adds an extra layer. But yeah. Seems like I get a lot of time to think about this, <laughs> man, this health kick, like I'm I, like, I'm looking at so many ingredients, especially right now, like going out on my own and, actually buying my own ingredients and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> what am I? I'm like 35 days alone here, man. Yeah. <laughs> what else am I supposed to think about? <laughs> You're like, God, he's getting weird, man. <laughs> he's like, what if we, he's like, hold on, little, hear me out. What if we did? Going and a little like, cuckoo. Oh, here, here we go. <laughs> Somebody check on him over there. But no, I do like the idea because obviously the more sustainable you can have it where it is healthy products. A lot of the times you go to the supermarket and you look at a label and you can't really tell. It's like, I don't know where this is coming from, right? It might mm-hmm. say it's healthy, but is it really healthy? Um, mm-hmm. And without doing extensive research on some of these things, it's hard to actually be able to tell. So I do like that idea. And then maybe they have some sort of approval process so that to be a restaurant that has this stamp of whatever it is, logistico, you, I think you have on your notes, yeah. to have that <laughs> stamp, you have to make sure that you're going through a certain set of rules uh, to qualify. Yeah. It, it it's a big idea, it, but I I I don't know. Like you don't really know where your these restaurants are sourcing their their meats or yeah. products, whatever it is. And like I and I was also thinking because like the past two breakfast places that I went to, Smocker, like 
if you think about it, you build these relationships and then it's like you're in every single one of these stores. So you have that recurring revenue every single month. And it's like, yeah. I went to both of these. I'm pretty sure they're small, maybe not small, but they're maybe not locally. I don't know. I thought I felt like they were local, <laughs> but th- there's these local businesses, local restaurants that have these partnerships with smuckers. Maybe, maybe they don't actually, they just buy their shit and then they stick it there because that's what everyone knows. But every single one of these restaurants has smuckers in there. Imagine you had all these recurring revenue sources of all these businesses because you have that best quality sourced materials or products, whatever it might be. It's just monthly recurring revenue is like, bah, 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 bah. Comes down to logistics. Comes down to cost, I think, because some people don't care about the health aspect. They just want the cheapest shit, right? If if Heinz Especially ketchup is America, cheaper than, than a local made one, then whatever. What's Golden Corral? Golden Corral is a buffet. Is it good? Healthy? Or no? Um, it's a buffet. It's always packed buffet? here, man. How many buffets it's like right do you? Yeah. True. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's decent. I was thinking, I was like, I don't know how a buffet in America could be profitable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right. Offense well, I got to, to Americans. Tyler, I got to or Tyler. I got to cut this short. Um, I got to film another podcast after this. But I think right about the hour, Mike. Hour mark. See, my words are already uh, losing me now. Um, don't forget your quote. You got about six lines of my outro it. here. So you got your quote to get up. Uh, that's mm-hmm. episode 74 of The Midnight Entrepreneur. If you have any questions you'd like us to cover or answer, you can email us at themidnightentrepreneur at gmail.com. And if you found value in this content or found this entertaining, share this with a friend or post it on your story. And if you really enjoy the show, we'd love a rating and a review wherever you are listening. Talk to you guys next week for another episode of The Midnight Entrepreneur. Mistakes should be examined, learned from, and discarded, not dwelled upon and stored. Tim Fargo.